Is something holding you back from putting your creative project out into the world, like fear of failure or anxiety? Do you feel you know your soul's purpose, or are you still searching? Today's guest has an incredible ability to blend the spiritual and practical to help creatives, and specifically filmmakers, go after their dreams, and she will share wisdom on how you can do the same. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. This show sits at the intersection of creativity, mental health, self-development, and spirituality, and it is meant to give you tools to love, trust, and know yourself enough to claim your right to creativity and pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. Today's guest is Rebecca Louise Smith. She's an award-winning film festival strategist and founder of the Film Festival Doctor. From humble beginnings working as a personal assistant at corporate companies, she worked her way up to become an award-winning consultant and media personality who now has more than 10 years of film festival strategy consulting experience. Her company has won more than 2,000 awards for its clients, including an Academy Award nomination, and has supported nearly 850 creatives across the world, inspiring their journey toward achieving their goals and following their dreams. Dreams. I wanted to have Rebecca on the show because she has great practical tips on how to find your purpose, manage your fear of failure, and super, super practical tips on how to pitch yourself for projects and specifically how you, if you're a filmmaker, actor, writer, director, can get into film festivals. She is so passionate about what she does and speaks about it in such an interesting way that I, somebody who has really no current desire to like make a film or be in a film or like do anything surrounding film I mean like I'd be in a film but whatever I'm not like pursuing it currently I left that conversation with her being like I need to go make a film right now no matter what your creative outlet is this conversation will help you realize that there are practical steps to get wherever it is that you want to be and to get in front of the people that can actually help you get to the next level From today's chat, you'll learn the definition of a soul purpose and how to find yours, how to build your self-care toolbox, practical tips to pitch your projects, how to get into film festivals, and much more. Okay, now here she is, Rebecca Louise Smith. Rebecca, I am so excited to have you on Unleash Your Inner Creative. I literally just told you before we started recording, I'm Lauren Louise. We both have such a passion for helping fellow creatives, and I just feel so much synergy with you already. So thank you for being here. Thank you. It's great to be here. I also love your pink because my house is pink. Me too. I always say I want to live in a cupcake, and that's what I'm trying to make happen. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, speaking of pink, I feel like pink creativity, they're all connected to the inner child and honoring the inner child. And I'm curious because I always love tracing the lines to figure out what were the signs that you'd end up doing what you do today. What were the signs in your early childhood that you would end up becoming the film festival doctor if you look back? Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I never thought I'd be a film festival strategist. You know, like how old I'm now, I'm 41 years old. I'd be doing this because my original dream was going to be a hairdresser. (laughs) But I always had in my DNA, there was always a connection to the creative industry because my dad was the head of creativity for Central TV, which is a channel in, in the UK, like a station such as like HBO Max. And he'd be the one, you know, always working in that area to create the content and programming and producing. Thing. So it was always kind of in, it's in the family and it was always in the, in the TV and, and the media world. 
And I always liked to organize things. That was my, my mom was a PA. So it's kind of like going to go in that direction anyway. I think I just fuse the two together, but not in hairdressing in the world of film festivals. Right. That makes sense. And when you say PA, was she a personal assistant or a production assistant? A personal assistant. Okay. So she did always be working closely with CEOs and, and MDs. Yeah. And I mean, in your bio, it starts like this. From humble beginnings as a personal assistant at corporate companies, she worked her way up to become an award-winning consultant and media personality who now has more than 10 years of film festival strategy and consulting experience. So I'm curious. I know you also have a PhD, so you literally are the film doctor, but could you take us how you went from PA to PhD to film festival doctor? Yeah. So the PA role was something I did really enjoy. When I was starting to grow up, you know, and starting to get into the world of work, I really liked doing that because I liked organizing people's diaries and schedules and getting a system in place for them. Obviously, my mum did that. And I did it for my dad and his company and other people. But then I realized it's kind of like a bit of a dead end job. Like only so far you could go. I mean, I could always start my own PA company, but I was like, you know what? There's something else niggling. And I always liked to write. And then a friend of mine said, oh, you should now, you know, when you're at university, maybe just develop your writing more by doing like a master's degree and then maybe even a PhD. Because I was very interested in, in the world of Quentin Tarantino. You can tell the Pulp Fiction poster in my back. I always like to do a lot of research on Tarantino. So I thought oh, I'll develop it further. But I realized when I was doing the PhD that I was enjoying it to a degree because I really was fascinated with Tarantino and looking at all this research and looking at how his fans responded to his films emotionally and all this kind of thing. You know, it was good. But it wasn't to say like my passion or a dream. I was doing it, but I thought, I think there's something else. I don't know what it is, but there's something else. And maybe it's because I don't want to be a lecturer, but I just carried on doing it. And then it was maybe like a year into the PhD, I was asked to co-produce a film festival. And I said, okay, this will be fun because I need something else to distract me from the PhD, which is a lot of solitary writing right now. It's a little bit lonely and to a degree and film festivals are very, you know, like sociable kind of things. And then that hobby was realizing this is my sole purpose. It's my life purpose doing this. This is what I love doing, what I'm born to do. This is my why. And it came more clear to me when I was talking to filmmakers and I asked them what do they like and dislike about film festivals. And they all said, we love festivals, you know, seeing our film on the big screen, touring around the world, winning awards, meeting new people, connecting. It's really like really great events. We actually don't know what to do. We don't know who to ask to get our films into festivals. We're just hoping for the best when we submit and see what happens. And I was like, oh, does nobody do this? So with my research, and there was a gap in the market, a massive gap. And I thought, I can do this because I think I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm going to just go with my gut here and just develop it and become the film festival doctor. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true. Like, I think the biggest thing that artists are usually lacking is an advocate. You know, they have all this art. They have such a ready heart. They're ready to do the work. But then when it comes to the business part of it, it just feels so daunting because most of us just frankly aren't trained in that area and many of us don't feel at home in that area. So to have somebody to be your ally and advocate is so powerful. I've heard you in many interviews use the word soul purpose. How do you define that? So soul purpose is what you are meant to do. It's what your soul wants to do. It's what you were born to do. You're put on earth to do that particular thing, whatever it might be. 
your sole purpose is, for example, you can do this thing, whether it be being a social media manager for Instagram, let's say, or being the film festival doctor, being a festival strategist, you can do it forever. You can go through breakfast, lunch, dinner without having to stop. You know, you're constantly motivated, you're disciplined, and you really enjoy living. You get immersed and it feels like you're home and what you should be doing. It's not having to get up and sigh and like, oh, here we go, another, another day at the office or dreading it. It's the opposite. It's pure thrill and being sublime and engrossed in what you do. So I have a question for you because I feel like one thing I find from a lot of artists is they feel like they have found their sole purpose, but it feels like their sole purpose doesn't want them back. Yeah. Do you think that's still a sole purpose? If it feels like you're having to like bash your head against the wall, do you have to take yourself away, zoom out and say like, what is it that I really want here? Yeah, it would be more like, what is it that I really want? It could be maybe that area which they think they're born to do is a different area. They need to find their niche more. So, for example, if they're, say, a director, but they're just like, it's becoming hard work, but it's not as easy or free-flowing or you feel really at home doing would be, say, maybe script writing or producing or continuity editor, for example, on film, that maybe that's what you should focus on more. I have a lot of that. So a good point you bring that up because there are creatives that come to me and think this is a really hard shoot. It was, you know, one of the worst things ever done, but they're part of the film, but they realize that, you know, they can't really do producing and directing. They feel mm. better just focusing purely on the directing aspect, the creative part, and not raising the money and doing all that stuff with producing because it's too much and it's a separate person's job. Something like that, for example. So how, if somebody is in that position, like for instance, with me, I went through this with acting. When I moved to LA, all I wanted to do was act. And I thought I had found my purpose and it felt so important to me. But acting didn't want me back. And it was torturous trying to get that thing, getting doors slammed in my face over and over and over again. I found my way. But I'm curious from your perspective, because I know you have a lot of advice on rejection, how to find yourself again after rejection, how to find your passion again. Like, how can a person like me back in 2011, who thought they found their sole purpose, refine and find something that feels more in flow? Yeah. Refinement's important. That's, that's like bringing down your niche and what you're really good at. I know you say like niche in the US. I sound British originally. Oh, niche is correct. Sometimes I say niche. I think I say niche now. So niche is safe here. <laughs> really homing in on your niche is important. So for example, like, you know, in the world of creativity, you know, in the film industry, there's many different roles and different things people could do. And it can be that people think that their dream is to be, say, an actor, actress, but it's just not working out because there's something better for you. And it's really defining what you want and where that lies. Sometimes it's not always like in a massively different industry, like a corporate world, it's going to be in the creative world. But normally what that means is figuring out like, what is it that I really am good at and can I monetize from this? So for example, a friend of mine was convinced, you know, she thought she was going to be, she wanted to be an actress, but then she realized that she enjoyed parts of it, but what she preferred was presenting. Mm. And then she went on to do a lot of presenting for a chat show, TV show, it was on YouTube, it does really well. But then she just said, you know, the acting and doing like these big, heavy, dramatic roles or comedy roles, she was like... I'm not quite there. So I have a talent where I've like got a warm kind of like personality and I can really like sink people in. But I'm better when I do that as a chat show host than I am with a screenplay and trying to develop a character. There's two different big things there. So it's really homing in on what aspect it is and that getting the niche down. It's like, for example, 
with social media can be that people say I'm a social media guru well what aspect is it do you specialize in Pinterest or Instagram or Facebook LinkedIn you have to use them all differently or x now and also what aspect are you good at is it creating content video content or graphics it's getting really like micro micro kind of niche and figuring out what aspect it is to really draw upon you know and really develop so you know something's there but it's just stripping it down to like these little elements and then thinking right it's that and it's connected with this Mm, that's great advice I know you've written so many books at this point but you do have one where you talk about the power of blending both practical business skills and spiritual techniques that have led to your company's growth yes can you speak more to this I'm so curious about it like why is it important to blend the practical and the spiritual I think it's kind of compulsory to do that nowadays because it's important that you do have the practical things, you know, that being obviously your your KPIs, your systems, but your basic business nuts and bolts and infrastructure in place and knowing kind of like how to run it and how to get your leads and how to manage your leads in your business and be a businesswoman. That's crucial. Having a good email system, people need those kind of things. But you need more than that. So obviously to get the business, to get the good branding, to really make the business come alive, it's important to bring in the spiritual aspect, not over the top, but things like, for example, manifestation, cosmic ordering, these kind of things are important. So and also a vision board, I think, is crucial. I mean, vision boards sometimes are seen as like fun yeah. <laughs> back in the day, but they're actually like really good to help mental health, but also for being productive with your business because you put there, you know, visual dreams and goals. And I do it for each project. So we have like a vision to look at for each client we work with. Well, we want that film to go in the direction. And it just makes our mindset really calming and really focused and driven. But also with manifestation, you need to know what you want for your business. You know, you, you built it up and you've got everything in place that you know the systems but what is it that you actually want and to attract that is very important to get the right kind of clientele to get the right film projects in my case to get the right PR you need to know what it is you need to ask for that which is through manifestation what is cosmic ordering I've never heard of this before Oh, I know. It's so fun. I mean, I didn't know much about it until I discovered it through, I think it was in maybe 2016. I just found a book online called Cosmic Ordering Made Easier. But it's been like around for decades, but no no one really knows too much about it. It's different to manifestation. In manifestation, you know, you manifest, you know, make it firm what your intent is, what you want. But with cosmic ordering, it's quite different. It's like you're placing an order at a restaurant, you know. So when you go to a restaurant and say, you know, what I would really like is chips with cheese, and ketchup, you know, so you're being specific. You can do that with absolutely anything, you know, like what kind of client you want and what kind of project you're looking for, what you want keen for your day to look like, what you want to want to come in with the flow. You just have to ask. If you don't ask, you don't get. So it's the same with the universe. The universe can give it to you, but they need to know what you want. They can't just intervene and go, do you want this? It's like, ask them. And it works. You just have to let go and believe. And it's not too crazy as it sounds, <laughs> but it is a really important tool so that you can just keep the flow going and comes your way what you want for the business. So could you go through the structure again? Is it, I would like blank for the good of all concerned? Yeah. So it would be starting it with what I would really love and appreciate or what I really want is to get a parking space when I go to Brentwood Shopping Center this afternoon. At the end, you say, for the good of all concerned. Because what that means is, is that, you know, it's the good of everybody in the world for you to get that parking space. It's not selfish. It's just put it out there for good of all concerned. And then 
Place of the Order. And it was taught by a woman called, uh, she actually published a book for me, Born to Do It. She runs a company called Butterfly House, Ellen. And Ellen Watts is brilliant because she makes that very easy because it can be overly complicated sometimes with some books that I read before, but hers is very simple and layman's terms. And that's all you need to implement that in your business. I love that. And then for manifestation, there's so many different thoughts and theories out there on it. What is your specific method of manifestation that you use for your business? Detail. So putting things like, it'd be really nice if I could get a client in China is <laughs> not very specific. So you could say, it is my intent. My next client has a very strong short film that is originates from China. That's what it needs to be. So not like it would be nice, just affirming it is my intent. This is what I want. It is my intent to work with more filmmakers from China. It is my intent to work with more actresses and do more production work in New York, you know, so affirming that. And then you can also make a vision board to put those manifestations on. It's like a vision board of your, you know, career and the universe needs words and pictures. So, you know, so having what you want and pictures then helps you Imagine it's already there and also gives out the right signals. So do you do these things for every single desire? So you, you would you like if you had this dream of having the client in China, would you have your manifestation, your cosmic ordering and a vision board for that one specific thing? Yeah. So what I'd normally would do is I'd have to say that would be like my my business vision board. So it'd be focused upon career because some vision boards can be, I think you might be already know this, but some vision boards can be quite a mixture where they'll have all sorts of things like, you know, personal career, money, that the whole kind of thing, wisdom. They can have like a lot of stuff on them, but I like to separate them. So they're for e either each project or for each area of my life. So that'd be business and personal and health and wisdom, et cetera. So be on the business one. And I put on there, you know, the goals for the business and and you know for example pictures of awards and china and filmmakers you know famous filmmakers from china you know that quality level of filmmaking that kind of thing along with the the manifestations and then when i'm having say like a day where i want to like really get a good productive week i put in those orders like when well, i want this to kind of come through so i can develop you know plant the seed and then grow it and you know manifest what i want that way by asking for it more specifically mm, that's great and on top of this awesome book that you have, Born to Do It, Becoming a, the Leader of Business Niche Using Powerful Spiritual and Practical Tools. That's it, yeah? That's right, yep. You've also just now written Film Festivals and Looking After Your Mental Health, which you are offering to the world for free, which is such a beautiful offering. And you say this book came to fruition when you noticed certain triggers happening when filmmakers receive rejection letters from film festivals. Yeah. Can you tell me more about this, how this creative idea came in and why it's so needed? Yeah. So it was around, say, because my business launched, I had a, like a soft launch in 2010 and then it officially kind of became what we call in the UK because I was in the UK at the time when I launched a, a limited company in 2011. And festivals at that point, there was more and more were developing and there was lots more becoming us qualified and BAFTA qualified. And it was very getting very competitive. By around, say, 2014, I'd noticed this pattern where filmmakers were beginning to take rejection very personally or they weren't able to really cope with it very well because obviously all filmmakers, you know, a lot of them all want to go to the same festivals, you know, the big ones to have the launch there and have their film seen there, obviously. So it became like a common goal for them, but also very difficult to get into because of the number of submissions they receive and nobody can get in. People were starting to take it, you know, really it was tough for them. I could see some people going really downhill 
because they were thinking you know, that their dream had ended. They didn't get that. The film wasn't good enough. They thought all these reasons, but I was like, hang on. The reason why is not probably not what you're thinking. And there needs to be, I saw at that point when the seed got planted, there needs to be a different way to approach projection. And obviously projection, more and more projection kept coming in because more and more festivals came in, more films started getting made. So there was a lot more projection coming in. Like for example, Sundance received over 12,000 short film submissions. And they only picked 56. So I began to look at this more and I realized that what filmmakers need is to integrate looking after their mental health into their festival strategy and to also make sure their festival strategy is very targeted for their film. And there's mm. no like, you know, festivals that it won't get into, but very focused, very specific, and also like a self-care toolbox as well, because that was what was missing. Some filmmakers were like, you know, having for the best and going really big and not looking at their film and where best to place it, which was then getting more rejection and more mental health issues. This is all such great advice. I mean, rejection is a huge thing we talk about on the show because I think it's what prevents people from even trying to go after their dreams a lot of the time. The fear of rejection, the pain of rejection once it does happen. What are your top tips for rejection and how to not take it personally? So the thing I would say now in terms of like from the context of film festivals, to not take it personally, is to think of it as... It just didn't quite fit, like your film didn't quite fit for that festival for whatever reason, but it might not be negative. So a lot of the time with rejection, as they don't know the reasons why, people think it was a bad review or they didn't like the film. It's rare that can be the case. So just see it as, okay, that festival wasn't quite the right fit. Whether they like it or not, it wasn't quite the right fit. There'll be another festival coming in that'll be even better, that'll be just the right match and we'll get all your goals achieved. Hey creative, if you love the show and it has meant a lot to you, could you do me a favor? Rate and review on Apple, give it a review on Spotify, share it with a friend. These things all make a major difference in a podcaster's life and in growing their show. And I really wanna build up this community of creatives who love, trust, and know themselves and love, trust, and deeply know others. So if you could do that and share the show with someone you care about, that would mean so much. All right. I love you. How do you advise artists separate their worth from the outcome of their work? That can be hard. That's a good point. You say that because I have two people now who are finding it hard to detach emotionally. So I'm trying to chain their brain by saying, that, you know, making the movie is the process. You're, you know, you're raising the funds, you make it, and then the edit comes, and then you've got to then finish it. But when it's finished, it changes. It becomes a product. So you've gone through the process of making the passion project. Now it's a product. And it's important to be prepared that this product will not be well received by everybody because people look at films very differently. You know, sales agents, distribution companies look at films very differently. They don't care about the blood, sweat and tears, neither do film festivals. So it's important now to build up that resilience and think of it now as that you've made it. You've learned a lot from this. I know it's you're proud of it, but now it becomes a product and to detach emotionally from how people respond to that product and do not take anything personally. So separate you from the film because you've been so immersed in the film, you know, raising the money and making it and all that stuff that comes with it and all the dramas and all that kind of thing that comes with the film. It's now important that you step away, take time away from it, but just separate the attachment and the emotions set away. 
and see it now and something having its own journey and we'll see how much love it gets and what reception it gets but you're not involved in this product anymore you finished it it's time to step away and treat it as a separate entity that's such brilliant advice you gave me this vision as you were talking i was thinking if i made lipsticks and i was trying to sell my lipsticks and they were very girly pink bright sparkly would I be so devastated if A, somebody who didn't wear lipsticks or B, somebody who isn't really interested in like bright, bold colors and sparkly, girly, girly things didn't want them? No, I would market it to the people who I knew for sure would be interested in something like that. But for some reason, at least for me, when it comes to my art, it feels crushing that not everybody gets it. It makes sense that if we're doing the equivalent of that with our art, trying to sell to a market that just doesn't want what we're doing, we're going to feel like failures when really we just weren't delivering it to the people that would need it, want it, and appreciate it. It's so, so important to make sure you're selling to the right audience and thinking of it like once you've pushed out the creative baby and it's done and it's packaged, it's a product, is such a great emotional and mental separation and what a beautiful tool no that's a really good point I love that when you just said like you've birthed it and you've given birth to it because that's what you've done like when you're making a film whatever it be a music video or an episodic or web series or whatever product it is even if it's VR you've given birth to it because you've done it all so now it's separate and it's important to think right this having now its own life it's a grown-up child it's gone through all of that process it could take 10 years to make a film it's 10 years old now or whatever it might be it's now done and it's important to as you say there really like cut a cord that's what it kind of is in a way I suppose like you give birth but cut in a cord I mean there's a client at the moment I'm working with and it's finding it hard it's taking him longer because the film is about a disability that he has so he's finding that very hard to detach and I'm saying right now you need to take time away from it and then see it now as it's put it's not going to take overnight just take a bit of time away from it and when you come in with a fresh pair of eyes and then you're doing other things or like you see it now as what it is it'll be easier journey for you Mm. And you mentioned a self-care toolbox. What are some of the tools you recommend putting in that box? In that box? <laughs> the most important book to put in that box is a book called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. That is a brilliant book because it tells you how not to take things personally. Obviously, that's crucial when it comes to festival rejections. It's a really good book. I love that book. It's really, really good. And it just tells you like, you know, when I say to you, like, don't take it personally, it tells you kind of how and to never assume, you know, you assume they is the other person or it's the other thing where it's their, you know, it's their internal politics that have work out. They might not have liked it. They might loved it. They might not be able to find room, but you cannot assume anything that you don't know. But it just tells you how to do that over like a nice size book. So that's top in the bag. Other things I recommend in this toolbox would be meditation techniques. There's plenty of meditation apps. You know, just general basic meditation is really good when you've had like a long day at a festival or on a sale, whatever kind of creative process. It's really good to detach and meditate. Also, another part of the toolbox is your vision board kit to make sure you have that ready, how to do them properly. And emotional freedom technique, how to use that, because that's really good, which is tapping on certain emotional points in the body and how to get that in balance if you're having a day when you're out of sync or out of sorts it would say you just got a rejection come out of the blue you're like oh you know where's that come from and you didn't expect it to happen or you were expecting it to be different that can just get you grounded and recenter to remember those key things that we discussed 
I know it's easier than done sometimes, but it takes practice, but it's not going to take years. It just means commitment to making that little toolbox and having that little, you know, bag with you. You know, when you go out, say, you know, with a baby, you know, you take the little like diaper change bag. It's the same kind of thing, which is for your own main, mental health and well-being. <laughs> um, but they're the key elements I'd recommend because they're quick and simple to do and learn, but also very essential. Yeah. And I mean, you're speaking from experience. So you're not like just saying, hey, do this because you've been very open about dealing with your own anxiety and how it upticked during the pandemic. And I know I also have anxiety. I know most, uh, many or most of the people listening do. I think most of the people on earth right now, especially deeply sensitive people, are in some sort of anxiety or have dealt with it. What are your top tools to move through particularly anxious moments in your life and business? One thing is, first of all, is when you get like the anxiety, if you can't see the answer or what might come in and when and how, is to kind of let go of that and to trust and believe because you put it out there, you've got the right energy behind it and it's now just letting go. Now the things that you could do that would be good interest to distract from, so painting or walking or whatever it might be, or even something that's that's not linked to film that's still creative but it's not linked to film is a good exit, you know, and not to think of that thing that might be bugging you. That's a really important thing. Even walking in nature is something that's free and easy can do a hell of a lot. I do that every single day because when I'm in the mornings, my mornings go crazy because I've got ton of differences with the UK and the USA. And obviously I'm based in the US, but have the time of this and also other parts of the world. So I have all that stuff in the morning and the evening, afternoon, like by two o'clock, I'm ready to go for my nice long walk, do an hour and a half, and then come back and just feel like energized and grounded is really important. When you say in nature, are you actually like going through the woods or is it enough to walk by an individual tree? <laughs> <laughs> the woods, not so much the woods, but say a nice green area. Yes, yes. around here. You can find greenery anywhere you might be. Even here in London or New York, there's greenery outside. Even just traveling out and not looking at your phone, put the phone away and then come back to that later on when you're back in the office is really crucial. I used to do it, but I always nick at the phone when I was younger. And I was like, no, no, this is not the right way. And I was told it wasn't. And then I thought, yeah, just better without doing that. It takes a long time to get to that point. But for me, it was. But then it's quite simple. You're just walking as you're just immersed in the walk of the nature. You don't know that the phone's in your bag and it's on silent. Oh, love it. So since the doctor is in, aka you, I thought I would get some good tips for the health of our filmmaker, actor, writers out there, because you have so many amazing tips when it comes to film, festivals, how to get your stuff out there. If someone listening has a fully produced film and is puzzled on what to do next, like what their first step is to get them into festivals, where should they look? What should they do? chat to me is a good thing but the key thing is before you do any submissions before you start you know going all excited about getting it into you know all the festivals around the world is to stop and think right ask yourself have I got a film that festivals want and if so what kinds of festivals are going to want it so it's a bit more of a two-part process and the way to get the first part answered is not to get feedback from mum and dad and, and the milkman because they're going to tell you what we want to hear get constructive feedback from people who are experienced in the industry that know festivals like me and can give you feedback that is helpful because they're not attached to you or the film emotionally that's a key thing and to be honest and not to like say oh yeah it's great when it isn't is to be really clear and think right okay this is a good nice little feature 
it's a love letter to LA. It can do really well at festivals in LA for sure. Can it travel outside of LA to bigger festivals and general festivals outside of LA and, and the US? Probably not. But if you stick to that niche, you can get a lot of success. So it's just knowing where to place it is crucial. If you don't do those two things, you end up just doing spray and pray and hoping for the best and going all over the big festivals. You wasted money and energy and it can get demoralizing. Yeah. And so do you really feel, I mean, obviously you believe in this because it's what you do, but like, would somebody need to have a consultant to find that out? Because of course you think your film is great. You made it. Should they only go to someone like you? Can they ask other filmmakers? Like what should be the process there? Film festival strategy and the film festival world is very specific and you need to know how it works and what festival programmers want and their tastes and their audiences and how they operate to get the best chance of results and more success. So yes, it can look on the outside like easy, look at my Instagram, but it takes a lot of time to put that together to really pinpoint where to place a film. So for example, sometimes we do get films that are good, but have a few, you know, rough on the edges sometimes, but they have potential, they show emerging talent. The festivals are going to want that. We have to know which ones and who would be open to that kind of story, even though it's not the most polished film. It's that kind of thing. Sometimes you get films that are fantastic, but they're a drama and there's other those dramas around. So we have to think, you know, really pinpoint the audience and other angles. You know, it's a diving deep kind of job and knowing how to place the film and where. In American dollars, like what sort of budget should somebody have in place? Let's say they have a short film and they want to hire someone like you to help them consult and also have the money to submit to these festivals. What sort of budget does somebody need once the film is fully produced to get through this second part of the process? So then in terms of that being like for submission fees and putting me on your team as a consultant, the starting rate would be, with all of that included, say 1.5K onwards. Um, if you want to do more submissions, you could add, add into that budget and make up to 2K. But I'm very good when it comes to submission fees because I make sure we get them for the decent rate and we don't go over the top and do loads of late deadlines where it won't get seen. Instead, do late deadlines where it will get seen and not have to pay a fortune and just you know, do it the right way. So that wouldn't be too bad. You can go up in price the more you want us to be involved and et cetera. But that's a good starting point because that way you can get your fees in there and also me in there too in the budget. Yeah. No, that sounds great. And I know somebody, a good friend of mine, who's very hesitant about wanting to do film festivals. He literally has four films made. I mean, I personally think they're great. He's been sitting on them for a while. He's afraid if he gets into the wrong quote unquote festival and their film isn't well received at a festival, it could somehow diminish his name or work. So therefore, he, like, he's thinking about just releasing it online. And I'm curious what you would say to this person. Like, What are the actual risks and benefits to a festival run? So well, it's important that you know exactly what it is you want to achieve and what your goals are. So if he's worried about looking a certain way, then he needs to look at the film first and see how far it could go and what festivals it could do. And if any of those would be kind of in alignment with what he wants and what his vision is, is really important. I mean, if you do these festivals at these like ones which don't exist, these like award competition things that are online and no one sees the film. It's not going to look good for anybody. With a feature, you have to be quite strategic in terms of where and when to launch it. But it's important just to be very clear what you want, whether it be a short or a feature, whatever it is, music video. What do you want to achieve in the festival circuit with the film? And if that's in alignment with the festivals that it could probably do and have the best chance of getting selected for, then that's the way forward. It's just being very clear, knowing exactly what you want and how far the film can go with you. And how can a film festival start your career? 
Oh, we can do quite a lot. So film festivals are where Spike Lee and Steven Soderbergh were discovered in Quentin Tarantino, so they have their life, their rest to it. But it's all about being there and networking. It's crucial to have the networking and being there at the right place, right time, I suppose. But attending festivals can do a lot for you because it's that organic chemistry that you feel and you meet people that know people. So it's like a snowball technique of networking. So you meet people who you get on with really well and then it just becomes then they know someone else that could be good to meet for coffee in LA or New York or somewhere in Dallas. Build relationships that last the amount of time. It's really important nowadays, it wasn't back in the day when I began this, it's really important to have a good Instagram page. A lot of people like using Instagram, but it's really important because people nowadays at festivals go, all right, what's the Instagram? Then like, you know, what's the phone number? What's the email? That does come in the conversation, but the first thing normally is Instagram to check what you've done and, you know, like trust to build up and see what you're about. It's pretty crucial. So that would be important to have your Instagram polished and, you know, up to date and obviously really good to not just impress people, but to like, you know, to bond with people. They can do a lot for you. You can get more from it if you're there. So it's important to attend than just not attending. And if you win something and you're not there, then it's great to put that for your socials. But attending more festivals and getting the full feel of it, you always meet people at festivals, no matter where it is. There's always people there. At a filmmaker's festival, you're going to meet filmmakers and they become then friends and acquaintances. They're the best festivals where they become friends and family. You mentioned Instagram. What do you recommend filmmakers have on their Instagram? Is it clips from their movies? Is it them explaining their process? Like, what have you seen from the people you've worked with have success and connect with people? Yeah. So putting, say, you know, the trailer. So, you know, on top of an Instagram page, you can like put it on what they call it. Pinned. A pinned the top. So putting the trailer of the latest work they're proud of in their latest film is important. Any press that might have been in something like Deadline, Variety or other kind of publications, for example, that's, you know, good to put on there that's had attraction and, you know, showing maybe one of your best achievements is good for the top three on the pin to the top. And then other things on there too would be, you know, showing, doing stuff at festivals, being there at a festival, you know, winning awards and having that that celebration, showing behind the scenes, um, showing being you, you know, at work, make it more business as you can, not yeah. too many random selfies, but more <laughs> like a focus on the business and showing all aspects of your creativity, how you work, your process, the results you have, the celebration of it all. That is a very positive Instagram. And obviously on the top part, making it clear who you are like you put filmmaker or director if you're a director just do directing or producer director or screenwriter whatever it might be or filmmaker if you do all of it and putting a link to you know your website is important how people can connect with you putting in like save stories of the highlights that you've had from the festival journey or your filming career whatever it might be is really important too so make sure it's updated frequently and that you're responsive on it and that you react to it and that you you know respond to emails sorry want to dms and comments too And do you recommend somebody has a personal one as well as one for their production company or would you just say combine the two? It depends how big the production company is. I really combine them. It's really important. So you could put the website, could be the link to the production company, which would be fine. Having one for the film can not always work out very well, can be a bit of an extra draw and a bit of a drag. Having one for you is most important. If it's like a big production company where there's lots of things going on, really it's got creative, then yes. But if it's, say, like, you know, one that's got good projects and it just needs just the one page to combine with you, then that needs to be it. I have two, one for my company and one for for me. But the one for me is more like, because I am my brand, everything's pretty much on there. And the other one about the company is more of an educational piece for, like, new filmmakers and that kind of key highlights. So really the one to go to is my main Instagram, at Rebecca Film Doctor, because that has everything 
everything that I do on there, which is film festivals, you know, strategy, client results, and all that kind of things, and what we do and how we do it. So it's like a one-stop shop. I'm curious because, you know, you said don't spray and pray, which I think is just in general great advice. <laughs> um, but when someone's applying to these festivals, is there a sweet spot for how many they apply to? Or is it kind of just dependent situation to situation? I've always kind of thought, and it's how it tends to work well, is submitting to like around 45 or more is really good because it takes like a lot to get a result. So normally the ratio is like one invite out of 11 submissions is a good result nowadays because it's competitive. So, you know, 45 is a good sweet spot. If you can do more, great, but obviously they all have to be relevant. So there's no a limited amount. You can do as many as you want because they're relevant to you and that, you know, you can get something from them. But I think the minimum I like to do is like between, you know, 35, 45 is a good amount. So you're going to get, you're going to see the patterns easily from there. Like see where, you know, is it getting into more festivals that are for short films in the US or short films in Europe? Is it getting into more festivals that are for women filmmakers? And it is generally, you can then just look at the patterns and there's patterns that you're trying to do more submissions to that kind of niche. So you know exactly where to place it. Great advice. Because that friend of mine I was telling you about, he applied to like five and then was feeling Oh, I didn't get into the five. So yeah, from your reaction, I see that's just not enough. And that's really good information to know. Let's say you do a festival, it goes well, you win an award even. Then what do you do? How do you make the most out of that in post? So definitely, you know, go on social media all over the place, put it on the website, make it prominent, get really good pictures, mm. get pictures and good video footage, you know, it's a moment to cherish and to put it out there and so because it's a big event and a big milestone. Also, what's important as well is if you can afford to is get a press release, you know, so this film wins whatever award, you know, top award at Holly Shorts, for example, or something is a really good press release to put out there because it's showing that it's winning this kind of award, this kind of level of festival. So if you can do that too, it would really help. And then obviously keep that on a website because it shows a moment in history where there's been change, you know, something's, it could be a film that makes a really important message about diversity, you know, and that means it's, and so, you know, it's when that award is a big thing. So it's important to really make a big noise about that. Even getting selected for festivals as well that are like, you know, Oscar-qualified festivals are hard to get into is really important to put that on there too, you know, so make a song and dance about it literally and pin it to the top and get people to know about it and spread the word and be vocal about it and don't be shy. But you, have to, you can't be shy when it comes to knowing awards. You have to get it out there and say you want it. If you don't know, no one knows, no one can connect with you and no one can help you to the next step and level up. Yeah, and you mentioned the Oscars. I know that, Someone you worked with ended up getting nominated for an Oscar, correct? Yeah. Tell me about that film. Like, what was it about that one that was special that it got through? So that was a very strong piece of work. So I worked with um, Jamie, a consultancy phase, and uh, he came over to, I was living in Epping in, in Essex at the time. And he came over and we had a meeting and the script was really good. It was a really good personal story because he got stuck there was a volcanic ash eruption and he got stuck in Kosovo for about a week and a half, I think. And he realized how beautiful and incredible this country is and became part of Kosovo to him. And that's how the story generated. It's based in Kosovo. So I think it was one of the first films to actually be shot in Kosovo that went that far. But he wanted to really just tell this story of how he experienced Kosovo and just keep it, you know, like a really strong, powerful drama. And it achieved it because it was extremely well made because he wasn't the first time filmmaker. He had lots of credits under his belt. 
I think he did a feature before that, but you know, he knows how to film and he had a great cast and crew behind him and he got money from Kosovo to make it 60K and it turned out very powerful piece of work. It's a kind of story that, that the Oscars like and it got nominated. And I think there's a, and it got nominated because it had behind it, you know, a lot of power because it had a really good, you know, strong piece of work behind it. And they, they did this no- nomination that it won at Holly Shorts actually. So festivals are integral to that process to help short films and feature films are qualifying. But it had a special antibiotic because it had great human acting and strong direction and a good script that had just told this story that could really resonate with a global audience. I have a couple of questions from that. Number one, is it good? And I'm assuming the answer is yes. For filmmakers to come to you when they have the script so you can point out anything in it that is good for festivals that wouldn't be good, give them notes on how to change it. Absolutely. Yes. So it's really good to come early to get the script stage to then get the script finessed and fine-tuned to make it in the best shape it can. Obviously, all about after that, it's all about execution. If the execution's strong and it goes the right way they want it to go. But it's important at that stage because you can't change your most production a bad script. Yeah. And can you advise people on execution as well, the best way you do that as well? Yeah. So it's important that you have a cast and crew and a crew that are all on the same page and a cast you can deliver and they're the right for the roles. So get a casting agent is probably the best thing. And just you have the right strong team around you that, have, that share your vision, the director's vision and goals and have the same energy is really important. And the, everything's been planned properly. It's gone to a fine detail. It's really strong in that respect. Everything's been organized properly. There's been plenty of rehearsal. Then it can work. And you've got the backup plans ready in the production is important. Also that you, with the director's point of view, is not to hold back or be safe or vanilla. Take a risk, go forwards with it is really, really important. Because if some people hold back and they don't share the vision they want it to, or they, or they just keep it a bit safe, vessels want to see a strong, daring vision that does not hold back, like Skin and Shock, those two films that are really strong and just show a new talent and a new voice. And then you do that by really stepping out your comfort zone. So don't be afraid. You've got a cast and crew that trust you. So do it. And you mentioned also that the script that ended up getting nominated for an Oscar was the type of script or project that Oscars like. What is the type of project that the Oscars like? So it has a a good, strong social message without being too smoutsy or melodramatic and really just like good human acting where you can resonate and relate to that and it feels like you're just not watching a film but two real people going through this thing and feeling connected and resonating is really important sometimes you do see a lot of shorts that don't quite hit that mark because it's not enough element in the script with the characters and the dialogue when it's become more real like that that's what elevates up a whole different level. That's the kind of films that win our qualifying awards because they go to that different kind of point. That's great advice. Speaking of advice, if you could give an artist listening right now who's feeling down and out about their career a piece of advice on just how to keep going and how to take care of themselves, I'm wondering what it would be. First of all, never give up on your dreams and to remember to keep going. Because if you stay strong and you know what you want and you put it out there, the right people, places or things will fall into place for you and it all comes together. Keep going in that process and stick to it and don't go off piste and stay strong and information will come at the right time. Mm, I love it. I can't believe we're already at the end, but I have to ask, 
What does working with you look like? How can people reach out? Because I think you are offering such an incredible tool. The biggest thing that I see standing between people and their dreams is just knowing what to do with their creations that they have and how to get them to reach people. So I'm so grateful you exist. How can people reach out to you and start working with you? Reach out to me on Instagram, that good old Instagram again. So my Instagram handle, the best one is at Rebecca Film Doctor. That's R-E-B-E-K-A-H-F-I-L-M-D-R. DM me and I'll definitely pick it up. And also my website, you can connect to my website by email, which is thefilmfestivaldoctor.com. Everything's on there, what we do, how we work, how we operate and connecting with me. Rebecca, you are a delight. Thank you for everything you do to help artists. I'm so grateful. And uh, from one middle name Louise person to another, thank you for helping us unleash today. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. And thanks to my guest, Rebecca Louise Smith. For more info on Rebecca, follow her at RebeccaFilmDR. And visit her website, RebeccaLouiseSmith.com, to learn more about her business, how you can work with her personally, and get a copy of her book, Born to Do It, Becoming the Leader of a Business Niche Using Powerful Spiritual Techniques. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit and associate produce this episode. Follow her at Rachel M. Fulton. Thank you to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag the guests at Rebecca, R-E-B-E-K-A-H, film, D-R, so that they can share as well. My wish for you this week is that you incorporate more mental, physical, and emotional health practices as a key component in your creative journey. When you're on a creative journey, the mental and emotional health, that always needs to be the foundation. It's so, so deeply important to take a holistic approach to what we're doing. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.